This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith. I will be your host. I appreciate you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week, we're going to be talking about the Johannine comma in 1 John chapter 5, verses 7-8, through 8, and this is episode 186. As I mentioned, we will be looking at the notorious Johannine comma. Johannine is the adjective that's used to describe the literature that's associated with John, and the word comma is an old English word that means clause or sentence. So the Johannine comma is the Johannine clause or sentence that is associated with 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. In particular, the Johannine comma is a textual corruption of 1 John 5, 7 through 8. And this particular corruption is of significant interest to biblical Unitarians because the variant reading of 1 John 5, verses 7 through 8, refers to the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and it refers to the oneness that these three supposedly share. Now, I've organized a lot of data, history, and important names surrounding the Johannine comma, and I put them in this podcast episode into 10 points for you to think about, consider, discuss, and dialogue about. Is the Johannine comma a legitimate argument for the doctrine of the Trinity? Did its creator actually believe in the Trinity? And when did the Johannine comma begin to appear in the manuscript evidence for the New Testament? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. As I mentioned, we're going to have 10 points, 10 bullet points about the Johannine comma. And so point number one today is the Johannine comma was an insertion into the text based on a theological reflection of the original passage. So if you open up your modern Bible, you can read in 1 John 5, verses 7 through 8, that there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. That's 1 John 5, verses 7 through 8. However, older translations like the King James Version have this particular insertion into the middle of those two verses. The insertion will say that in heaven there is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Then in verse 8, it's going to start out by saying that the Spirit and the water and the blood testify, quote, on earth. And so the insertion not only adds the reference to the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit that collectively are one, the insertion also describes the location of these particular triads to where the Father and the Word and the Spirit are in heaven and the Spirit and the water and the blood are on earth. So that's our first point. The second point 
is that the Johannine comma is not Trinitarian, but actually a reflection of modalistic theology. Now, when you actually go into the Greek and you read the Johannine comma, something interesting actually jumps out at you. So when I look at the Greek, I can read it and it says, Mariuntes in to urano, o patir, o logos, kai to aion, pnevma, kai uti, e tris in isin. And there we can see that the word for one is actually grammatically neuter. These three are one thing, not one person. The three are described with the neuter cardinal number one. So this one does not refer to one God because God in Greek is grammatically masculine. Theos is masculine. So the writer of this Johannine comma thought that the Father and the Word and the Spirit collectively are one thing. And this is actually modalism. This is not Trinitarianism. Trinitarianism says that there are the three, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, that are one God. And that one God would be described with the masculine number one. But here we have the neuter number one. The three refer to one thing. They are collectively one thing. It is, therefore, incorrect to define the Johannine comma as a Trinitarian insert. But, however, we should point out that it was understood much later as Trinitarian by other Trinitarians. In fact, Trinitarians continue to use this particular passage to promote their particular doctrine. But originally, it wasn't a reference to the three persons within a single God. Point number three. The Johannine comma only appears in eight Greek manuscripts. Only appears in eight Greek manuscripts, and not a one of these manuscripts is earlier than the 15th century. And so I'm going to give you these eight manuscripts. I'm going to give you some numbers, and these numbers refer to the numbering of the minuscule manuscripts that are involved. And so the first one is minuscule 61, which is Codex Montfortianus. This is a 16th century manuscript. This one's very interesting for our study because Codex Montfortianus was copied from the Lincoln Codex, which is numbered as 326. And the Lincoln Codex did not actually have the Johannine comma in it. The Johannine comma was added from a Latin manuscript in order for it to be inserted into Codex 61, Montfortianus. Now, this particular Codex, Montfortianus, was actually given to Erasmus to convince him to add the Johannine comma into Erasmus's Greek New Testament. We'll talk a little bit more about this later in this episode, so keep that in mind that Codex Montfortianus was the codex that had the Johannine comma added to it, and that was the one that convinced Erasmus that he had to add it to his Greek New Testament. Second manuscript is 629, which is Codex Autobonianus. It's a 15th century Greek manuscript. The third is 
minuscule 918, which is an escorial manuscript from Spain, dated to the 16th century. Then we have minuscule 2318, which is a Bucharest manuscript from Romania, dated to the 18th century. In manuscript 88, that is minuscule 88, it has a particular variant reading within it, and that variant reading is from the 16th century, even though this was added to the 12th century document, which is technically called Codex Regius. So we have a 12th century document, but the variant of the Johannine comma was added to it in the 16th century. In minuscule 221, its variant has a reading that can be dated as early as the 15th century. However, minuscule 221 actually is a 10th century Greek manuscript. So originally from the 10th century, but the variant reading was added in the 15th century. The next is minuscule 429, and its variant reading was added to a 16th century manuscript. And lastly, minuscule 639, with its variant reading, that was added to a 15th century manuscript. So all in all, we have four manuscripts that have the Johannine comma in it, and we have four others that are dated a little bit earlier, but the variant reading was added to these manuscripts later by a second hand. They're with a different style of ink from a different time period with different uh, vocabulary and different handwriting. So we could tell that it's a variant reading that was added to a pre-existing manuscript. Point number four. The Johannine comma originated in Latin-speaking circles, not Greek-speaking circles. And this is very interesting because the New Testament documents were primarily written and composed in Greek, but the Johannine comma originated within Latin-speaking manuscripts. And the Latin-speaking manuscripts that are of interest when it comes to the transmission of the New Testament would be the Old Latin and the Latin Vulgate. And the earliest appearance of the Johannine comma appears in Latin manuscripts of the Vulgate and the Old Latin collection. Now, the Greek church fathers actually didn't know anything about the Johannine comma because it wasn't there for them to use. None of the Greek fathers for the first 1,000 years of the church knew about the Johannine comma, commented on the Johannine comma, quoted the Johannine comma, alluded to the Johannine comma. It's never quoted in any of their works. And you can see how they would have used it had they known about it when they were arguing with the Arians in the Trinitarian-Arian debates. Now, the fact that the Johannine comma doesn't show up in any of the Greek fathers for the first 1,000 years is not an accident because someone like Cyril of Alexandria does in fact cite 1 John 5, 7 three times in his works, but it's not the 1 John 5, 7 with the Johannine comma inserted into it. So he is aware of 1 John 5, 7, but the addition that Cyril of Alexandria is aware of does not contain the Johannine comma. So 
That's our fourth point, that the Johannine comma originated in Latin-speaking circles, not in Greek-speaking circles. And for whatever it's worth, the Johannine comma is also completely absent from every Syriac, Coptic, Armenian, Ethiopic, Arabic, and Slavonic translations before the year 1500. All of them. Our fifth point is that the Johannine comma appears in seven Latin manuscripts. Now, it doesn't appear in the Old Latin textual tradition until the year 600, and the Johannine comma doesn't appear in the Latin Vulgate until after the year 750. So comparatively late from the writing of First John when it was originally written towards the end of the first century. Now, the seven Manuscripts in Latin to where the Johannine comma appears are the Palimpsest of Leon Cathedral, which is a copy of the Old Latin and the Vulgate that can be dated to the 7th century. Codex Cavensis, which is a copy of the Vulgate from the 9th century. Codex Complutensis, which is a copy of the Vulgate from the 10th century. Codex Tolinanus which is another copy of the Vulgate from the 10th century. We also have Codex Theodolphanus, which has the Vulgate, and it could be dated to either the 8th or the 9th century. Scholars aren't very sure. And then we have a handful of what are called the Sangalinus manuscripts. They are copies of the Vulgate from the 8th to the 9th century. So there you have it. The Johannine comma appearing in Latin manuscripts hundreds and hundreds of years before they show up in Greek manuscripts. Point number six, the Johannine comma first appeared with Priscillian, who was a fourth century modalist. Well, who is Priscillian? Well, he was a known modalist. Some scholars like to describe him as a Sibelian, if you can make a distinction between modalism and Sibelianism. Now, he namely Priscillian, was a consecrated bishop of a villa, and he personally founded a sect of ascetic Christians in southern Spain around the year 375. Now, some scholars have suggested that this particular sect of Christians that Priscillian founded was uh, Manichaean or even Gnostic, in theological leanings. The particular document to where the Johannine comma as we have it today first appears is in Priscillian's document that is labeled Liber Apologeticus and it's in chapter 1 verse 4 and it appears in the same format that we have it today word for word. Now it becomes apparent that Priscillian read the original text of 1 John 5 7 through 8, which says that there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So Priscillian read that particular passage, and he saw the references to the spirit and the water and the blood, and he was offering his own allegorical interpretation of it, and his interpretation of the spirit and the water and the blood that are in agreement would be that it is the Father and the Word and the Spirit, and those three are one, one particular thing. 
Now, Priscillian died 10 years later from the founding of his ascetic Christian sect. He died in the year 385, and he was actually executed by the Emperor Maximus on the charges of heresy and magic. And after the execution of Priscillian, his own followers continued to be persecuted. So we know that the very first time that the Johannine comma appears, as it shows up today, was in the writings of a 4th century Christian who was a known modalist, not a Trinitarian. Point number seven. The Johannine comma was not included in the earliest versions of Erasmus's Greek New Testament. Erasmus was very famous for collecting Greek manuscripts and putting them into what is now known as a Greek New Testament. And he amassed many Greek manuscripts in this process, and he tried to discern which ones were earlier, which ones copied which ones, and that way he could try to put together a Greek New Testament that could be studied and translated for serious theological reflection. Erasmus's first edition of the Greek New Testament was in 1516. And in this first edition, he did not have the Johannine comma in it because he didn't have access to it in any Greek manuscripts. Three years later, Erasmus published his second edition of the Greek New Testament in the year 1519. In the second edition, again, there was no Johannine comma. Now, there was an editor of what is called the Complutensian Polyglot Bible. His name was Diego Lopez de Zuniga, and he was openly critical of Erasmus for not having the Johannine comma in his editions of the Greek New Testament. In this polyglot Bible, it did appear because it was already circulating within these Latin manuscripts. And Diego made sure that he was able to put the Johannine comma into this polyglot Bible because he took it from Latin manuscripts and he translated it back into Greek. And that's how he justified it. But it's clear that the first two editions of Erasmus's Greek New Testament did not contain the Johannine comma because it was not present in any known Greek manuscript. Point number eight. Erasmus was given a doctored manuscript with the Johannine comma in it. Now, apart from Diego Lopez de Zuniga, there was another critic of Erasmus, and his name was Edward Lee. Edward Lee was an Englishman, and in the year 1520, just after the publication of Erasmus's second edition, Erasmus responded to the critical remarks of Edward Lee and said that he, Erasmus, would include the Johannine comma if it appeared in any Greek manuscript. And up to this point, Erasmus had yet to find a Greek manuscript with the Johannine comma in it. And so what was eventually provided to Erasmus was the already discussed Codex Montfortianus, where the Johannine comma was translated into Greek from the Latin Vulgate. So when Erasmus says that you need to provide me a Greek manuscript, that's what they did. They provided one 
to him, but it was one that was created and doctored for the occasion. And Erasmus reluctantly had to include the Johannine comma in his third edition. Unfortunately, Erasmus was regarded as such a expert in the field of Greek New Testament studies that when he added it, it actually led to people believing that the Johannine comma was authentic, and it led to more and more people coming to believe in the passage's originality. Point number nine. The earliest English translations of the Bible did not have the Johannine comma. So prior to the King James Version, there are eight English versions of the Bible. The first one was the Tyndale Bible, translated by William Tyndale. And he knew of the Johannine comma because he's translating with the collection, the Greek New Testament, that was made by Erasmus. But he had some hesitancy about the authenticity of the Johannine comma. And so in his translation, the Johannine comma is put into brackets to indicate his hesitancy. The following translations that are English translations of the Greek were the Coverdale, the Matthews, the Taverners, the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, and the Bishop's Bible. None of these Bibles had the Johannine comma in it. We see it without any brackets in the following English translation, which is the Dure-Rheims Bible, and the English translation that came after that is the 1611 King James Version. And of course, the King James Version having it in it has become widely influential and popular for the last 400 years. For what it's worth, Martin Luther, in his first edition of the Bible, which was not an English translation, it was a German translation, even Luther did not insert the Johannine comma into his translation, although he was aware of it. And our tenth and final point is that no serious scholar in the modern era considers the Johannine comma to be original to 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. The Johannine comma has been rejected from critical editions of the Greek New Testament since the year 1831. So for nearly the last 200 years, it's been rejected by critical Greek scholars. Now, its influence continued to be substantial within the Catholic Church, but in the year 1927, the Holy Office of the Catholic Church allowed Catholic interpreters and exegetes to freely question the authenticity of the Johannine comma. And since that point, since 1927, it has been generally understood that the Johannine comma was not original to the Greek text of 1 John 5, verses 7 through 8. The most substantial Greek commentator of the 20th century, Raymond Brown, wrote a commentary on the Johannine epistles in the Anchor Bible Commentary, and I am indebted to a lot of his research for the contents of this particular episode, and he is fully convinced that 1 John 5, 7-8 did not originally contain the Johannine comma, and yet he is the strongest and most influential Catholic exegete of the 20th century. So there you have it. Ten points, ten bullet points on the Johannine comma that you can take and share with your friends. Let's review them real quick. 
Number one, the Johannine comma was an insertion into the text of 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, that was based on a theological reflection of the original reading. Number two, the Johannine comma is more of a reflection of modalism than it is of Trinitarian theology. Number three, the Johannine comma appears in only eight Greek manuscripts, none of which is earlier than the 15th century. Number four, the Johannine comma originated in Latin-speaking circles, not in Greek-speaking communities. Number five, the Johannine comma appears in seven Latin manuscripts before ever showing up in Greek manuscripts. Number six, the Johannine comma first appeared in the writings of Priscillian, who was a 4th century modalist. Number seven, the Johannine comma did not appear in the earliest collections of Erasmus's Greek New Testament. Number eight, Erasmus was given an altered manuscript with the Johannine comma in it so that it would be included into the next edition of Erasmus's Greek New Testament. Number nine, the earliest English translations did not have the Johannine comma. And number 10, no serious scholar in the modern era considers the Johannine comma to be the original reading of 1 John 5, verses 7 through 8. And there you have it. That's 10 points on the Johannine comma, everything you need to know about this notorious textual corruption. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we begin going through the book of Hebrews and looking at the Christology that is taught within this sometimes difficult to understand book of Scripture. So please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the truths of the oneness and unity of God and the truths of the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. It is hosted by Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.